Back in Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my hand tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Welcome to another episode of American American Timelines. I'm Amy. And I have diarrhea. Okay, and that's Joe. I've had a couple days worth of diarrhea, and I don't know why. All right, we don't, nobody has asked about that. Well, we, nobody asked what your name was either. All right, you so proceeded to tell everybody. What are we going to talk about tonight? This is American Timelines, the podcast that brings you, but you know what it is by now. It's 105 freaking episodes. Go listen to one of the other ones, and we'll tell you what it's about, okay? Right. We're in 1967. We're in September. We're going to jump right the hook in. If, if you like bad words, then fuck off. Yes. I mean, if you don't like bad I was gonna words, say, then fuck off. That didn't make sense. But if you like bad words, welcome the fuck in. Okay. What's the first Sorry. thing? This is where we... This is where we go to just get out our stuff. So we we're going we a little f- nuts. We're going a little crazy. Yeah, we've been in the house now for fourteen days, two weeks or something. The thirteenth is the last time I set foot outside. The thirteenth. I of- mean, I went. Yeah. Anywhere in public. I don't know. I can't remember what day was the last day I went out. American Timelines is a we'll podcast by two idiots. We'll cut out that. One great-looking idiot and one average-looking idiot. What? And we're now in September. <laughs> what? I know what, how you meant that. I meant that I'm the average. You did not. You're the great looking. Yeah, that's not what you were meaning. That's what I'm saying now. Yeah, that's what you're saying now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. September 3rd, 1967. Yes. At 5 o'clock in the morning local time, all road traffic in Sweden switched from driving on the left-hand side of the road to driving on the right-hand Whoa. side of the road. Why, I wonder. Preparation for Dagen H, they, as they called it, which stands for Dagen Hogertrafkomlagengen, or Day of Right-Sided Traffic Conversion, oh had God. been made for the past four years. Beginning at one in the morning, all non-essential traffic had been barred from the roads. At 4.50, all remaining vehicles were brought to a stop at checkpoints. Ten minutes later, police directed vehicles to move to the other side of the road. So they, Whoa. Yeah. So That's they, mind-bending. They switched that because the all the neighboring countries yeah, were, the, were that way. Were that way. So and wait a minute. They switched from the left to the right? Yes. Okay. Like, they, like, so they, they switched to be like their neighboring countries. That's how we are, right? Wait. Uh, what did I say? They started driving on the right now. From the left hand to the right hand, yeah. So they're like Which us. is what we do. So they're like us. Okay. Uh, I couldn't remember which way it was, yeah. what I said, even though I just said that. <clears throat> but um, yeah, their neighboring countries uh, already were on that side, so they were switching to be like them because they thought they had a high amount of traffic accidents. Yeah, because- and they people- thought it was because of that. Yeah, it would make so, sense. So they switched because of this, and accidents went down- Right at the stop, at mm-hmm. the start of this. Mm-hmm. But then after a couple of months of this, they went right back up to where they were. So, so it wasn't it. Turns out that wasn't why. Is that why England still is on the other side? I don't know why or... England's on the other side. But and they said about half the cars here were the steering wheels. You know, they have both on the left and the right. 
the game show, also that same day, the game show What's My Line broadcast its last episode after having been a television mainstay on CBS since February 2nd, 1950. John Charles Daly, the last of the original members, moderated the last episode, which included longtime panelists Arlene Francis mm-hmm. and Bennett Cerf. Oh. Do you know those? No. Those two? I don't know anybody. That same day, Olympic champion Iwa Klobukowska failed the newly introduced gender test before the European Cup in 1967 and was consequently banned from competing and stripped of her records. What's a gender test? They said she was too much of a man. She was like competing with women and they said... They're like, yeah, she's kind of manly. Like, she shouldn't. It's not fair if she's got an extra chromosome. So, they tested for the chromosomes, and she did have an extra. Oh. uh, So they banned her, but then a year later, she gave birth to a child, proving them wrong. Wrong. She is a woman. It was very embarrassing. I wonder if she was born like a hermaphrodite or what. Um, No, it turns out she had a a bar body. They call it. She was bar body positive. B a r r. Uh, Marie Barr is one who discovered this. It's the inactive X chromosome in a female somatic cell. In all of her cells, uh, they're in all of her cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people with those bodies were suspended from competition by 1968 in Mexico City. Her humiliation led to a change in the gender verification policies by the International Olympic Committee, which from then on kept test results secret instead of Blasting it all out there for everybody. Yeah. Um, but later on, she was let back in because of when she had a baby and she proved, I guess. That oh, okay. Those rules went away. They're like, that's, that's not, that's a normal thing. Okay. The bar body, I guess. Also, that same day, Mohammed bin Laden died. Is that 59 year old Saudi Arabian billionaire, construction magnate, and father of future uh, Al Qaeda terrorist Osama, Osama bin, bin Laden? Laden. He was killed when the Beechcraft airplane he was in crashed during a landing near the village of Oom, along with his American pilot, Jim Harrington, and two other passengers. Okay. September 4th, 1967, in Centerville, Mississippi, 25 armed members of the African-American group Deacons for Defense intervened when a mob of white supremacists attempted to disrupt a demonstration for black voting rights in Wilkinson County. Boom. When one of the white members pointed a gun at the demonstrators, the group from Natchez began unloading weapons, and the mob dispersed without incident. According to one activist, hearing the name Deacons for Defense invoked was almost as effective in scattering the racist mob as the guns. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. You said that would never happen. I'd like to know more about that group. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Yeah, wouldn't you? Want me to look them up? No. Talk about them? No, that's okay. That same day, Michigan Governor George Romney, who was considering a run for the Republican Party nomination for the presidency in 1968, appeared on the Lou Gordon Show on Detroit's WKPD-TV for an interview, and he was asked to explain why he had changed his position from support to opposition of the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And said that when he and other American politicians were given a tour of South Vietnam in 1965, he said, quote, I just had the greatest brainwashing that anybody can get when you go over to Vietnam, not only by the generals, but also by the diplomatic corps. 
Uh, for all practical purposes, a historian would write later that that single honest remark removed Romney from serious presidential consideration. So because he was honest? Well, because he said he was brainwashed. Everybody's like, you don't want somebody that can easily be brainwashed yeah, to be your be president. president. What a stupid idiot. Like, it was known as mm-hmm. a gaffe. Okay. I'm not sure why I... Yeah, have so that, in there. that one there. That's interesting. Take it out. September 5th, 1967 was a Tuesday. Hurricane Beulah formed in the Caribbean Sea. Is it Caribbean? Caribbean. Caribbean you can Queen. say either. But. Yeah, I say Caribbean because that's what Billy Ocean said. Okay. Caribbean Sea. And then began traveling a west-northwest course. Over a period of 17 days, it would grow and diminish as it swept across Mexico and Texas, killing 59 people and causing more than $1 billion in property damage. Boom. On September 28th, President Lyndon Baines Johnson declared 24 counties in southern Texas a disaster area. Animal life in the region responded to this in various ways to survive. Ants survived the floods by congregating in spheres of living colonies and floating downstream to safety. Whoa. Uh, Predaceous beetle larvae, larva, predaceous beetle larvae, that's the plural, Yeah. Uh, They preyed on frogs and rodents. Crustaceans from the beaches migrated en masse to the protection of high ground. Really? Animals. They know how to... Only only gross ones is what you talked about, really. Yep. And then September 6th, 1967 was a Wednesday. Walter E. Washington was appointed as the first African-American mayor of a major American city as President LBJ announced his nomination of mayor, commissioner of Washington, D.C. Of Washington, D.C. For the previous 93 years, there had been no mayor for the nation's capital, which was administered instead by three appointed commissioners. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Also that same day, Macy Gray was born, American R&B singer and actress. And you know what her name is? Her real name is Natalie Renee McIntyre. And she was born in Canton, Ohio. Macy Gray. Macy Gray. So we know a little girl who's a friend of our daughter's who was named after Macy Gray. That's true. But we're going to now call her Natalie Renee McIntyre. No matter what her mom says. Yep. That's right. Sorry, her name's Natalie. You said she was named after Macy Gray. Her name's Natalie. Bitch. That's what we're going to say. No, that's not. No, we'll okay. never call her a bitch. She's very nice. We like parents oh. of our kids' friends. All right, you're weird. I'm weird? Mm-hmm. U.S. Marine Sergeant Rodney M. Davis on that same day was 25 and killed when he jumped upon a live grenade to protect his fellow Marines from the blast. Oh, wow. Davis, an African-American, and one of the casualties of the Battle of Quezon Valley, Quezon Valley, was credited with saving five other soldiers in the second platoon from death and at least seven other from serious injury. He would be awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously, 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 in 1969. A U.S. Navy missile frigate USS Rodney M. Davis would later be named in his honor. September 7th, 1967 was a Thursday. The United States launched Biosatellite 2 from Cape Kennedy with a cargo of insects and other life forms to study the effects of weightlessness and gamma radiation on cellular development. Oh, wow. When they got back, an ant had so much gamma that it became a super-powered ant. I was just going to say. And took over the universe. That's the only downside, is that that could happen. And it became the Incredible Hulk ant. 
Okay, that didn't happen. Uh, NASA would successfully recover the craft two days later. The first biosatellite sent aloft on December 17, 1966, had burned up in the atmosphere after the malfunction of its retro rockets prevented it from uh, controlled reentry. The living things on board included parasitic wasps, flower beetles, vinegar gnats, and amoeba, as well as paramecia and frog eggs, wheat seedlings, and bread mold. Jeez. That same quite night. A, quite a menagerie. That same night with all that shit flying around in space, The Flying Nun premiered on ABC at 8 o'clock in the evening, starring Sally that. Field yes. as Roman Catholic novice in Puerto Rico, who discovered that she had the power of controlled flight Whenever a stiff wind caught the starch cornet worn by her order, off she went. The show was based on a novel, The 15th Pelican, written by Ture Rios, and would run for three seasons that was on. I remember it in syndication. Burt Reynolds was on every episode. No, he, banger. no, he was not. I don't think he was famous yet. He wasn't? It was like black and white, that show. Burt Reynolds was in black and white movies before 1967, I'm sure. Mm, maybe. Oh, great. Hey, Google. What was Burt Reynolds' first movie? This came back from Wikipedia. Angel Baby in 1961. Oh, okay. He was billed forth. Now, let me guess. You're going to have to do a Burt Reynolds Movie festival right after your Robert Loggia movie festival's done. No way. Robert Loggia's the greatest. Burt Reynolds can't even hold a candle to Robert Loggia. I did watch three Robert Loggia movies this week, and I'm going to so watch bizarre. more. That means 90 more to go. Three in, 90 more to go. You did 93 movies? Yep. September 8, 1967 was a Friday, and U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson met at his ranch in Texas with two longtime friends. Texas Governor John Connolly and U.S. Congressman Jake Jake Pickle, <laughs> as well as his wife, Lady Bird Johnson, to get advice about announcing a decision to not run for re-election in 68. According to Mr. Johnson's biographer, Johnson intended to announce his decision in, in December, and Connolly argued that Johnson should announce his decision in his State of the Union address in 68. Johnson would reconsider his decision and attempt to... Uh, and attempt and reconsider his attempt at a run for renomination before withdrawing on March 31st, 1968. So I had to look up Jake Pickle because mm-hmm. that's a great name. And Jake Pickle left for World War II in 1942, but before he did, he married Eleonora Sugar Critz. Mm-hmm. His wife's name was Sugar Critz. They had one daughter together. Critz died in 1952, and then Pickle married Beryl Bolton. McCarroll. Why? Who, why are we going through this? Beryl Bolton Pickle McCarroll. McCarroll Pickle was her name. So uh, sugar. Just, you're not even speaking English sugar, anymore. Sugar Critz Pickle. His wife's name was Sugar oh Critz Pickle. God. And then he lady, oh, later married Beryl Bolton McCarroll Pickle. Long quarantine. And Jake Pickle was oh, diagnosed Jesus. with prostate cancer in 1991 and lymphoma in 2001. Jake Pickle died at his home in Austin on June 18, 2005. Of complications from his cancer. This has been a long, long two weeks. Well, Peggy Pickle was Jake Pickle's only daughter. She still makes contributions to the University of Texas at Austin on her father's behalf. Peggy Pickle, y'all. This what? is the welcome to the Jake Pickle podcast, where we talk about Jake Pickle and Peggy Pickle and Sugar Critz Pickle. Sugar Critz Pickle, y'all. 
Is this everybody in the club has a Jake Pickle? A Jake Pickle. A Jake Pickle, y'all. What are you doing? <laughs> Jake Pickle. Anyway, this is now a Jake Pickle podcast. Stop. September 9th, 1967 was a Saturday, and I understand you have something for us on that day, right? I do. I am going to tell you the story of Snippy the Horse. Uh, what? <laughs> did you did you fall on your head? Did something yeah, happen I to did. you? This is not a horse podcast. I know. This I know. is a podcast where you usually bring up a murder, or maybe occasionally something cool like an alien abduction. Well... Is there a murder involved in this Snippy the Horse story? We'll we'll find out. I got my info from the website weekinweird.com. Weekinweird.com? Mm-hmm. Okay. Weekinweird. Yes. So in Colorado, yeah. we're in Colorado, the beautiful San Luis Valley. Colorado is the uh the uh setting of of the best sitcom of all time, Mork and Mindy. Right. And um, it's home to the oldest town in the state. Okay. And there's a ghostly train that still runs the lines there, according to some people. Oh, a ghost train. But the oddest thing to happen in the valley has to be the story of Snippy the Horse. Snippy the Horse. A weird story about Snippy the Horse, y'all. This is the first cattle mutilation associated with strange lights in the sky. Oh, wait. You say the first? The first. So one that multiple was times cattle were mutilated. Yes, it's a by it's, UFOs. It's a, it's a very common thing. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. It's like crop cattle, circles. Cattle, cattle mutilation, mutilation and crop circles are kind of hand in uh, hand. Uh, didn't you have one last episode or that last UFO thing was something to do with cattle too? No, they were just hurting. They were just there. They were just hurting. They weren't being mutilated though. Yeah. Okay. No. All right. Wow. Okay. Let's go. I didn't know that was a thing. So on September 9th, 1967. Oh, the same day that the three American television networks premiere their Saturday morning cartoon lineups. Most of them featuring established superheroes or creating new ones. ABC featured Marvel Comics heroes with the Fantastic Four at 930 and Spider-Man at 10, while CBS relied on DC Comics for the Superman Aquaman Hour of Adventure at 1130. NBC, you know what they had to offer? Since the other two had Marvel and DC, what they offered a cartoon called Super President. Oh my God! In which a president of the United States, James Norcross, secretly worked as a superhero in his spare time. Was it a cartoon? In or a thirty-minute show that also featured Spy Shadow. It was a cartoon, and so I looked it up on YouTube. Yeah. And the problem with his, it's the president, and he's secretly a superhero, but he calls himself Super President. <laughs> what a fucking idiot! So we go, hold on, everyone. I've stopped making decisions. I have to go turn into the president, super president right now. And so even Andy, our comic book nerd didn't expert, know didn't know what it was. So I posted on Facebook and asked him if he'd heard of it. That's uh, pretty funny. Isn't that great? Yeah. So that, that happened that same day. Yes. Also the same day that the pilot episode of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In uh, happened. Okay. Harry King left his ranch in search of Lady, his three-year-old mare. Okay, he left his ranch look at his, looking for her. She was missing? Well, he and his mother had, had noticed that she hadn't come back to the ranch for water in three days. Oh, no. And they, they were watching the cartoons. They finished Super President. And then they said, let's go find. Yes. Find and this on. was particularly odd because of how hot and dry the weather had been. Oh, yeah. Their fears were realized when they found Lady, or most of her anyway, laying on her side with her neck stripped bare to the bone. Wait, Lady is a 
horse. Yes. Or her, she's oh, so you, they can see her her skull, skeleton on her neck. Her skull, yeah, you her can see. Oh, yeah, it looks like just a, it's like a full grown horse with yeah. hair and everything, except for it's got a skeleton for a head coming out. Yikes! Yes, that's creepy. It's yes. F. Yes. Creepy AF. Yes, yes, yes. So um, the cuts were incredibly clean, surgical even, a fact that led Harry to believe that Lady wasn't simply the victim of a coyote or some other local predator. No, something. He noted there was no blood on the scene, only a series of strange burns on the ground and a strong medicinal smell hanging in the air. What? When reported, the local sheriff blew Harry off. And wrote the ordeal up as a, light, a lightning strike, never bothering to visit the ranch at all himself. Oh, didn't even look at it. A lightning strike. Yep. Killing a horse. I guess that could happen. Several days later, park police at, the, at nearby Great Sand Dunes National Park busted someone for trespassing on the property after dark. Really? It turned out to be Dr. John Althschuler, an award-winning pathologist with an extensive history of contributions to medicine. As the police lectured him about breaking the law, he begged for them to keep his name a secret, afraid that not, o- that not only an arrest, but that his reasoning for being in the park in the first place would ruin his career. And he those was, reasons were? He was searching for UFOs. Oh, he didn't want anybody to know that he believed in them. Yep. The San Luis Valley, particularly the, the area surrounding the Great Sand Dunes Park, has long been a hotbed of mysterious lights in the sky for longer than most records had been keeping track. In fact, the Native Americans who dwelled in the land would often tell stories of underground caverns where ant people sheltered humans and flying seed pods shuttled people back and forth between the stars. Oh, that's crazy. And those, so the Native Americans had those stories, huh? Yes, and those stories have since morphed into flying saucers and underground cave bases. Where Native little... American alien stories. That's yeah. interesting. I've never heard of such. But the point is the same. People have been seeing very weird things there for a long time. In the book, An Alien Harvest, Further Evidence Linking Animal Mutilations and Human Abductions to Alien Life Forms, Dr. John Altshuler was interviewed by television producer Linda Moulton about the evening he spent in the park looking for aliens. About 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock a.m., I saw three very bright white lights moving together slowly between the Sangre de Cristo mountaintops. They were definitely not the illusion of stars moving. At one point, I thought they were coming toward me because the lights got bigger. Then suddenly, they shot upward and disappeared. At the, all, at, the, at the time, I was both elated and disbelieving in a way. Huh. I knew that the lights were not my imagination, that the stories of UFOs were true. So when, pa- wow. when park officers found out that Dr. F. Schuler's area of expertise was in the study of blood coagulation, they decided to let him off the hook under one condition. He took a ride out to Harry King's ranch to view the remains of Lady and see if he, a medical expert, could make some sense out of them. So... So he didn't know about that no. thing ahead of time. So I was thinking he was there for that. So they made a deal with him. But yeah. it's kind of biased because you're asking someone who already believes in UFOs to come True. and see. So when he arrived at the at, yes. when he arrived at the body, he recalls being amazed by what he saw. The animal's lungs, heart, and thyroid were completely missing. Whoa! Wait, Re- heart, lungs, lungs, and, and thyroid, thyroid were gone. Removed with some of the cleanest cuts he'd ever seen. At the edges, the sliced skin was a deep black in color. Even stranger to him was the unbelievable lack of blood on the scene. 
I've done hundreds of autopsies. You can't cut into a body without getting some blood. But there was no blood on the skin or the ground, no blood anywhere. The outer edges of the skin were cut firm, almost as if they'd been cauterized by a modern-day laser, but there were no cauterizing laser technology like that in 1967. Holy shit. After examining Lady, Othschuler became so frightened that what he had seen would discredit him that he couldn't sleep. He was utterly convinced he had seen a horse that was experimented on by complex equipment, and furthermore, he was beginning to believe that its demise was related to the lights he had seen in the sky. Yeah. Sure enough, these same thoughts were shared by the King family. Harry's 87-year-old mother Agnes had seen a strange object fly over their house on the day of Lady's disappearance. Even Lady's owner, Nellie Lewis, mentioned that she had been seeing something in the skies every night, but declined to elaborate further when asked. That bitch. When she went to see the body for herself, she reported that her hands began to burn after touching the horse's mane and that her boots had become radioactive after walking through several burns littering the area where Lady's tracks stopped. What? This is crazy. This caught the attention of the United States Forest Service, who sent an agent out with a Geiger counter. Wait a minute. Where are you getting this from? This is all from newspapers or from Mm -hmm. a book? Well, it's weekendweird.com. Oh, it's from a website. Sorry. Okay. Um... So he comes out with a Geiger counter. Yeah. What he discovered was a pulse of unusually high radioactivity, roughly two city blocks of Lady's body, an area where many people were starting to believe a craft had landed. Hell yeah, I believe it. So Nellie, who was also an occasional writer for the Pueblo Chieftain, recounted her odd tale. And I love on the Pueblo Chieftain. October 5th, 1967. Oh, October 5th, 1967. Mm-hmm. Oh, the same day that... Pacific Ocean Park, located in Santa Monica, California, was closed down by a bankruptcy trustee. The park had been operating only on weekends during its final months of operation, and its last actual day had been on Sunday, October 1st, but it was nicknamed P.O.P. The amusement park had opened in 1958 and pioneered the concept of allowing visitors to get on rides as often as they wished after paying for admission. Mm-hmm. It was promoted by using P.O.P., stand for pay one price they invented it that okay. park closed on All that right. same day yep and the same day guy pierce was born that on that day the uh, the associated press picked up the story oh they picked up the story so it didn't take long before the account was filling the newspapers who had mistakenly reported the horse's name as snippy and then they just oh. decided to run with it since so they just it kept its name snippy because yep. they said it wrong yep wow well the first obvious place to lay blame for the mutilation is space aliens those not simply content with stories of flying saucers attributed to it, attributed the injuries to everything from secret government projects to the yeah. work of menacing satanic cults. Huh, okay. But none of that yeah. mattered because that same day, an account by Superior Court Judge Charles E. Bennett of Denver was published. Bennett and his wife claimed to have witnessed three reddish-orange rings in the sky. They maintained a triangular formation, moved at a high speed, and made a humming sound. Huh. So news of the UFO involvement in Snippy's death eventually reached the Condon Committee, a group funded by the U.S. Air Force from 1966 to 1968 at the University of Colorado. Okay. Condon Committee? Yep. Their purpose was to study reports of UFOs, the number of which had, had boomed since 1947 incident in Roswell. Yeah. Huh. So they reached out to pathologist Dr. Robert Adams, who agreed to take a look at the animal and present his findings to the group. Okay, I can't wait to hear what this guy says. He concluded that Snippy had a leg infection at the time of her death and that someone had slit the animal's throat to put her out of her misery. 
Bacteria, birds, and coyotes were responsible for the absence of organs in the abdominal cavity. Predators had eaten away parts of the horse's rump, exposing the cavity, Dr. Adams said. It was normal under the circumstances that the brain cavity was devoid of fluid because all the tissue was gone from the skull. The opening in the back was exposed to the air. Since the brain, after death, liquefies in hours, the fluid evaporated quickly in the warm prairie air. It was at least 30 days after Snippy's death before anyone examined the carcass, and the longest of the fluid could have remained would have been two weeks. It was how many days? 30 days. But didn't they say it was just three days that Snippy hadn't been getting water? That's why they looked for it? Well, after, after but it was 30 days by the time they had the doctor come and do like an autopsy on the horse. Oh. Oh, by the time the doctor looked at it, it was 30 days. But UFOologists pointed to the source of the Cotton Committee's funding with the U.S. government as proof that the group's true purpose was to downplay UFO reports and provide disinformation. But at this Uh, point, it didn't matter either way. Reports of cattle mutilations and their accompanying UFOs were exploding around the world. Snippy had started a phenomenon. Something like a phenomenon. In 1975, Democratic Senator Floyd K. Haskell claimed there had been 130 mutilations in Colorado alone, going so far as to request the FBI step in to help in order to quell the growing fear that caused the cases that instilled in Colorado residents. By yeah, I guess if everybody's too scared to do anything because they think aliens are everywhere, mm-hmm. you got to do something to quell it. By this time, cattle mutilations had been reported in 15 surrounding states, including Texas, New Mexico, South Dakota, and Montana, and were starting to appear in many Latin countries as well. Why are they mutilating cattle? These mutilations continued to grow, including all variety of animals in their wake, eventually including human beings. Mutilating human beings? Yeah. So maybe, you know, I just thought another thing. Maybe the other reason they're trying to uh, keep people quiet and change the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe aliens are actually running everything. You th- I think they do a better job than they're doing. Mm, what if they don't give a shit about or us? Or what if they're just crappy? They're not the smart aliens. They're the kind of the dumb ones. Or what if it's a- an alien's kid? Oh, we'll just give you we, maybe. We'll Earth, give you a planet. Earth was a birthday present. There you go, yeah. planet Earth. Hey, are, you haven't even touched your planet lately. Oh, now stop. Why did like you put li- like that Simpsons episode? Yeah. Why did you put Donald Trump in charge? Oh, yeah. who cares? I want to, I'm going off to college and put this guy in charge. See what happens. Yeah, and we're just waiting be. for Mork to get back from college. Oh my God! Maybe so. You don't know. Snippy's bones reportedly floated around from local museums to abandoned houses to veterinary clinics to local businesses, eventually finding their way to eBay. Did his name officially change to Snippy? I guess oh. that's what that's called. They they you know, but uh, the late two thousand six with a reserve of fifty thousand dollars in eBay. The au- oh, they got they sold for how much? They were oh. they were up. On, they, were they were listed. Listed. The auction was eventually put on hold due to a dispute over ownership of the remains. Ah. But there are those, such as Weird America author Jim Brandon, who don't believe that her bones were ever around to sell in the first place. Branson reports that Snippy's skeleton disintegrated like shredded wheat shortly after her death. While the whereabouts of her body might be a mystery. The legacy she left still hangs over the San Luis Valley in places like the Great Sand Dune National Park where skywatchers continue to trek in hopes of glimpsing a visitor from outer space or in the continued reports of animals with their intestines bored out, burned, and whisked away by advanced technology. Whether you believe that Snippy was simply a sickly animal put out of her misery or the victim of intergalactic experimentation, one thing's for sure, no one can beat a dead horse like extraterrestrials. Uh-huh. Is that who that, that website says that? The website said that, That yeah, yeah. was a clever way to say that. Yep, I like that. No one can beat a dead horse like extraterrestrials. That was pretty good. 
That so, was exciting. That's the best story you've ever done. No. By far. Oh. That's my favorite. You say that every time. Yeah, but that was actually a good one instead of stupid, crappy murders and rapes. So. No, we got raped. I can't believe you've never heard about of cattle mutilations. Uh, now that you say it, I guess maybe I have. But this isn't cattle. This is a horse. That's considered cattle, like they have, like goats and horses and those so hoof, in the same like, category. Animals. Yeah. September 10th, 1967 was the uh, was the day that the CBS television network censored the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour in advance of the evening's broadcast by editing out the performance of Pete Seeger's anti-war song, Waist Deep in the Big Muddy. Seeger, who had been blacklisted from commercial television 17 years, had been allowed to perform the song before the studio audience. The tape shown on television only showed Seeger performing the song Went Away and Tommy Smothers asking Seeger if he was going to sing that song. The tape then showed a close-up of Seeger's face and skipped to the next portion of the program. CBS, The CBS objection had been Seeger's closing verse. Now every time I read the papers, that old feeling comes on. We're waist-deep in the big muddy, and the big fool says to push on. Executives at CBS considered the words to be an obvious insult directed at President Johnson, uh, so there you go. But later on, they put the song back in for reruns after February 25th, oh, 1968. Yep. I thought that was interesting. And yeah. that same day, Frank Sinatra, a star attraction at the Copa Room Sands Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas since 1953, got into a fight with hotel management when his credit at the casino was terminated. In the fracas that followed after he had gone on, oh, in the... In the melee that followed after he had gone on an angry rampage, casino operator Carl Cohen knocked out two of Sinatra's front teeth by punching the singing legend in the mouth. Whoa. Sinatra, who had been part owner of the hotel until forced by the state of Nevada to sell his interests because of associations with mob, the mob and mob boss Sam Giancana mm-hmm. uh, particularly, uh, so he severed ties with the Sands permanently to sing at the new Caesars Palace Hotel. That's a cool so his Frank Sinatra front story. teeth were knocked out? Yeah, so he got in a fight over it, mm. and he got his teeth knocked out. September 11th, 1967 was a Monday. The Carol Burnett Show premiered on CBS at 10 p.m., and Harry Connick Jr. was born. Tuesday, September 12th, 1967, CIA Director Richard Helms presented U.S. President Johnson with a classified report titled Implications of an Unfavorable Outcome in Vietnam, mm. prepared by analysts in the office of of national estimates. That's probably what what they're trying to get Trump to read right now. I don't know. According to the analysis, failure would not come as a result of a complete military and political collapse of the U.S. effort in Vietnam, but would evolve from the likely compromise solution that would result from a peace settlement to the advantage of the Vietnamese communists. Moreover, the CIA told the CIA told Johnson there would be permanent damage to the U.S. in the international arena. Uh, and Louis C.K. was born that same time during that. During that. His mom was in labor during that conversation. Then Thursday, September 14th, 1967, uh, Ironside, starring Raymond Burr as a wheelchair-bound police detective premiered, and Batman began a third season on ABC despite declining ratings and added actress Yvonne Craig as Batgirl in an attempt to inject new life into the series. Oh, I wonder if that worked. Uh, Batman was so corny. 
Yeah, it was, I don't think it really worked that well. September 16th, 1967 was a Saturday, and the detective series Mannix, starring Armenian-American actor Mike Connors as a private investigator, began an eight-season run on American television. Isn't Mannix your favorite show? No. Sunday, I don't think I've ever seen it. Sunday, September 17th, 1967, The Doors earned a lifetime ban from The Ed Sullivan Show oh, after agreeing to censor the lyrics. couldn't get much higher. Yep. Yeah. They want they agreed to censor the lyrics from Light My Fire, uh, but ended up singing the original lyrics anyway. Mm-hmm. From bestclassicbands.com, recalled Doors drummer John Densmore, you'll never do the show again, Ed fumed after we directly disobeyed his censorship requirements. Jim turned to him and remarked, hey, that's okay. We just did the Ed Sullivan show. Doors guitarist Robbie Krieger's reaction was, you know, we thought they were joking. Who are they kidding? Want us to change the lyrics on the number one song in America? We decided to just do the song as is, and maybe they'd forget all about it. What could they do? After all, it was live television. So, yeah, we never played the Ed Sullivan show again, but we didn't care. Good. And you can watch this on YouTube. Yeah, I've seen uh, it. He, like, emphasizes it. Yeah, he kind of, yeah. Baby couldn't get much higher. Mm-hmm. But you can see Jim Jim. Uh, neighbors, Jim uh, Morrison. Morrison. I don't know why you did. Jim Neighbors. He's just as cool as Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. But he looks so. Every time I've seen him live anywhere That's on TV, high. he looks like he's out of his mm-hmm. gourds. So he probably didn't even remember anyway. Yeah. Um, but there was a a rumor for a long time that uh, uh, that they were they wanted him to say. Have you heard what they wanted him to change it to? I, I can't remember. Maybe it couldn't get much higher. Is what they, they couldn't say, and so they. Uh, there was rumors going around. They wanted to say something else, but uh, um, it was in the movie too, the Doors movie. Yeah, but I found out something a lot later. They figured out. Um, in 2017, uh, producers at Sofa Entertainment like dug into Sullivan's production files. Uh, to find out what the lyrics they wanted him to sing mm. really were. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole bunch of stuff about how they found it from this website that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and they discovered, we, we finally figured out what they wanted him to say. Here's what they suggested. We not only have the word, we have the whole line. Instead of, girl, we couldn't get much higher, Jim was asked to sing, girl, there's nothing I require. Oh, God. It's laughable. Imagine Morrison singing Require instead of Hire. He probably didn't even know what, yeah. what that word was. Anyway, that's that I think was interesting. I love mm-hmm. that whole thing that mm-hmm. like the Rolling Stones caved. Yeah. The Beatles, I think, caved. Yeah, I think they did. And the Doors didn't, so that gives them some badass points. Mm-hmm. Sunday, September 17th, 1967, eight tourists were killed and 74 others injured when the Mount Washington Cog Railway in New Hampshire derailed and plunged into a gorge while on its way Whoa. down a steep grade from the 6,288-feet summit of Mount Washington. <gasps> oh, my God. That would be awful. An investigation found later that human error in the form of an open switch had caused the crash. That would be an awful way to die. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Crashing into a gorge. Ugh. The Who, on the same day, performed their hit song, My Generation, on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. An explosive was set off, which made Pete Townsend permanently deaf in one ear and injured Keith Moon when a cymbal cut into his arm, but which also gave The Who enormous publicity. An explosion? What was the explosion from? An explosive was set off, like, as part oh, of Oh, pyrotechnic? Yeah, pyro, I guess, yeah. 
So we should look that up online so we can watch it. Yeah. September 8th, 1967 was a Monday. Love is a Many Splendored Thing debuted on U.S. daytime television mm-hmm. and would become the first soap opera to deal with an interracial relationship. Oh. The show was a sequel of sorts to the popular film of 1955, and there was a book or something. Uh, <laughs> Who cares? Uh, and the main the main character played by Nancy Hush was the Amer- a mere Asian daughter of the Chinese doctor and the American war correspondent in the film. However, the show would become controversial when Shu, I guess it's Shu, Shu is how you say it, mm-hmm. as Mia Elliott began a romantic relationship with a white character and will be written out of the show by the spring of 1968. And then Tuesday, September 19th, 1967, four boys in Lincoln, Nebraska, ranging in age from 8 to 11 years old, were killed in the explosion of a live 37-millimeter artillery shell that had been given away as a souvenir by an officer who had been stationed at the Schilling Air Force Base in Kansas. What? A weapons technician at the Air Force Base had inspected the shell, concluded that it was inert, and cleared it to be taken home by the departing officer. Oh, my God. the children had died. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Meanwhile, Jim Abbott was born. I don't know American Major League Baseball pitcher who was oh. born without a right hand. Nobody cares. They became a pitcher. Also, the same day, Monica Proietti died. Who's you know who that? that is? No. 29-year-old Canadian bank robber known as Machine Gun Molly. No, I don't know that one. For her choice of weapons. I would think you would know that. I'm not a big gangster You're not. person. It's yeah. a woman gangster, badass. Yeah. And then September 21st, 1967 was a Thursday, and Faith Hill, American country singer, was born in Ridgeland, Mississippi, Stop as it. Audrey Faith Perry was her name. Stop it. Her name was Audrey. And then Saturday, September 23rd, 1967, as the box tops took over the number one spot in the Billboard chart with a song called The Letter, mm-hmm. a group of 14 teenagers in Tucson, Arizona, helped rescue patients from a fire at the Craycroft Nursing Home. How about that? How about that? The students had been dining at an all-night diner at 2 in the morning when they saw emergency vehicles racing to the scene of the fire. So you know they were all drunk. Mm-hmm. And they arrived in two car loads, going into the burning building and carrying, leading, or pulling patients out. Of the 57 people inside, 53 were saved. That's according to Teen Save Elderly and Fire in the Chicago Tribune, an article from September 24th, 1967. Okay. And then Monday, September 25th, 1967, 17 children in the Mexican city of Tijuana were killed by poison after eating breakfast and another 574 hospitalized. Initially, investigators believed that the milk they had consumed had been tainted, but Mm -hmm. the deaths were soon to be traced to bread that had been contaminated by parathion, an insecticide that had been stored in a bakery supply warehouse. Contaminated flour and sugar had been shipped to nine bakeries. Oh, man. Which in turn distributed its products to retail outlets around the city. Oh, man. Isn't that crazy. Yeah. Wednesday, September 27th, 1967, all seven people on the Aero Commander 500 shuttle plane were killed when the airplane aircraft crashed into a bike rack outside of Bradfield Elementary School at the Dallas suburb of Highland Park, Texas. A lot of plane crashes. Yeah. Nobody on the ground was injured because classes had been dismissed 20 minutes earlier for a teacher's meeting. Man. On a regular school day, hundreds of children would have been leaving the building at 3.30 when it crashed. Uh, If it happened any other day but Wednesday, a teacher said, all the kids would have been out by the bicycle rack. It was the Lord. It was the Lord looking out. Or it was the pilot Vernon Denman Jr. who made a nosedive. Yeah. 
to avoid striking homes. Yeah, that's probably more like it. Thursday, September 28th, 1967, Walter E. Washington was sworn in as the first mayor of Washington, D.C. We already talked about him. Mm -hmm. He was sworn in. Uh, And Mira Sorvino was born. Also, Moon Zappa was born the same day. All right. Uh, Yeah, but now you know that Mira Sorvino and Moon Unit Zappa were born on the same day. I don't care. You would have never known. No. You want to guess what cities they were born in? No. Do you know who Mira Sorvino's dad is? Stop. Paul Stop. Sorvino. Friday, September 29, 1967. You hate birthdays. Ugh. And Mira Sorvino. Uh, speaking in Texas at San Antonio to the National Legislative Conference, U.S. President Johnson told his audience, I am ready to talk tomorrow with Ho Chi Minh and other chiefs of state to discuss an ending to the Vietnam War. Uh, so that was starting okay. to happen. Yeah. Uh, September 30th, Saturday, 1967, Hannah Milhouse Nixon, mother of former Vice President future U.S. President Richard M. Nixon, mm-hmm. was 82 years old. She died. Okay. And you don't even care. I don't. And that's the last thing I have for oh, September America. of 1967. We'll come right back at you with episode 106. Yes. Where we jump in October of 1967. We're getting there. We all love you. We love everyone. Thank you for Thank listening. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, this podcast gives you some sort of release, distraction from the Something. outside world, the yes. end of days, as it were. And if is I die up? tomorrow, I love you all. Yep, it's time to get rid of your Chuck Berry. I have that. We're so tired of hearing uh, If you look up Matt Truman, you will hear my Facebook page. Like, when you were all alone, no watchtower, a kiss in the sky. Well, I was barely a glimmer in my young daddy's eyes. Said the wind so tired of hearing about the six days. One more time, I said, We're so tired of hearing about the six days. Well, make me shut my American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Oh my god, that stinks. Damn! Does not? Does? Oh 